welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Monday, September 28th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Catherine Barger, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Thank you for listening, and to keep up with our department, we invite you to follow us across all social media at LA Public Health. And now, here's Supervisor Barger. Last week, the county launched the COVID-19 Safety Compliance Certificate Program to help educate and train business owners on how to implement the public health measures that are needed to keep their businesses, employees, and customers safe and healthy. The Safety Compliance Certificate Program is a no-cost online training course and will provide support to ensure that businesses' practices are aligned with infection control and physical distancing requirements. After completing the training, businesses will receive a COVID-19 safety compliance certificate that can be posted on their storefronts. The training is completely voluntary and can be used by both business owners and employees to offer reassurance that essential steps have been taken to reduce the spread of COVID. Consumers can look for a posted safety compliance certificate at any business that they visit. The training will be available in 13 languages and can be accessed online through the Department of Public Health COVID-19 website or through the county's website at covid19.lacounty.gov. As we head into the fall, we are beginning to prepare even more diligently for flu season. The flu virus and the viruses that causes COVID-19 will both be spreading simultaneously during the fall and the winter. The symptoms of the flu have major overlap with symptoms of COVID-19. It is important now more than ever for residents to get their flu vaccine. It is especially critical to get a flu vaccine if you are between the age of six months to 18 years old, are 65 years or older, are pregnant or just had a baby, live in a nursing home or long-term care home, have a weakened, weakened immune system, have chronic medical conditions such as asthma, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, HIV, AIDS, or cancer, live with or care for someone who is more likely to have flu complications or you are a health care provider. The Los Angeles County Department of Public Health is partnering with the LA County Library to provide free flu vaccines to residents six months or older with no health insurance required. There will be eight different flu shot clinics throughout the county and drive-through options will be available at select locations. You can visit lacountylibrary.org. Again, lacountylibrary.org for more information. Or if you would like to visit a healthcare professional, you can call the LA County Information Hotline at 211 for referrals and connections. I appreciate the support so many of our businesses, neighborhoods, and community members have expressed in doing their part to flatten the curve. We continue to move forward on our path to safely returning to the activities that make LA County so special. And I truly do appreciate the public's support. With that, I'd like to invite Dr. Barbara Ferrer up. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Supervisor Barger, and to the entire Board of Supervisors for leading our country, our county, through this pandemic and our recovery with focus and grace. And good afternoon, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, today, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about people that have a greater risk of becoming seriously ill if they're exposed to COVID-19. These are individuals with underlying health conditions such as asthma, diabetes, obesity, and heart disease. And they're of particular concern during the pandemic because the data we have shows that 92% of the people who have passed away from COVID-19 had an underlying health condition. As we're out in our day-to-day -day lives, it's impossible to know exactly who has an underlying health condition, but it is likely that it's someone we know or we're close to that's at risk. We estimate that as many as 20 to 30% of LA County residents have a serious underlying health condition that puts them at risk of illness uh, for COVID-19. Uh, we do have some information to share today on COVID-19 related deaths among people with underlying health conditions, as well as some information on the numbers of people in LA County who may be at greater risk. And also, as the flu season fast approaches, I wanna share with you information 
about what we need to pay attention to during a time when both flu and COVID-19 are likely to be in our communities. And please show the first slide. Um, this slide shows COVID-19 deaths by underlying health conditions. And as you can see, hypertension and diabetes are the most common underlying health conditions among people in LA County who passed away from COVID-19. Neurologic conditions and cardiovascular disease are also common among people who have passed away from COVID-19. Renal disease, pulmonary disease, obesity, asthma, and chronic liver disease are other underlying health conditions that are also fairly common among people who passed away from COVID-19, as are conditions that compromise the immune system. The next slide, please. Uh, it's important to understand how common underlying health conditions and risk factors are across LA County. And these conditions and risks exist in people across all age groups. This slide shows some of the common conditions and risks by age group, uh, with an estimate of the type of number of people uh, with each of these conditions. And as you can see, a large portion of people in LA County with asthma, diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, and obesity, and people who are current smokers are between the ages of 18 and 49. Almost two-thirds of smokers are in this age group, and over half the people with asthma and over half the people who are obese are between the ages of 18 and 49. One-third of people with high cholesterol and almost one-third of people with hypertension are also between the ages of 18 and 49. And one quarter of the people with diabetes are in these younger age groups. Next slide, please. And I wanna note that I include smoking uh, here as a risk factor for serious illness from COVID-19 because it harms every system in the body and causes both cardiovascular disease and pulmonary disease. Recent studies have shown that people who smoke are two to four times more likely to get really sick. And by this, I mean you're admitted to an ICU, uh, you need me mechanical ventilation, uh, or you can pass away uh, when compared to those who did not smoke. For those who are smoking or vaping, there are services that are available to help you quit. I know the idea of quitting smoking can be daunting, especially during a pandemic, but we can help and it can be done. If you like help with quitting, you can reach out to the California Smokers Helpline at 1-800-NO-BUTTS, B-U-T-T-S, or you can visit laquits.com. Next slide, please. Uh, this slide further emphasizes that people at all ages are at risk of being infected with COVID-19 and therefore at risk of becoming seriously ill. The blue line at the top of this graph shows cases over time among people who are ages 30 to 49. And while the numbers are down for everyone, this group has consistently had the highest numbers of people testing positive for the virus. The yellow line just below the blue line represents cases over time among people 18 to 29. They also consistently have had high numbers of infections. And finally, the pink line that is below the yellow line represents people ages 50 to 64. One of the reasons we see such high transmission rates in these three groups is that they do make up the vast majority of the LA County workforce, and they are the groups that are most likely to be workers and out of their homes doing the shopping and the errands for their household. The next slide, please. Among people who have been, become seriously ill from COVID-19 and required hospitalization, people who are aged 50 to 64 make up the largest proportion of hospitalizations at around 30%, and that's represented by the pink line. Also making up a high proportion of people who have been hospitalized from the virus, about one-fourth of the people are people in the age group of 30 to 49, and that's represented by the green line. Older adults, people 65 to 79 years old, and that's represented by the purple line, the dark purple line, uh, represent about 20% of the hospitalizations, and adults 80 years old and older comprise an additional 
of hospitalized patients. The one age group with a significant increase in hospitalizations is young adults, uh, people 18 to 29, and that's represented by the bottom yellow line. And you can see that they continue to make up an increasing proportion of people who have been hospitalized, and now it's at over 10%. When you do the math, almost 70% of people recently hospitalized are under the age of 65. Next slide, please. Unfortunately, in terms of death, we do continue to see that the majority of people who pass away from COVID-19, over, slightly over 65%, are older people. And older adults are represented by the brown and the dark purple lines on this uh, chart. Adults between the ages of 50 and 64 comprise about 25% of the deaths. And one note of caution is the very recent increase in the percentage of deaths that are occurring among people between the ages of 18 to 28. This is the yellow line at the bottom, which shows that now 5% of all recent deaths were among young adults. And this is up from less than 2% of all deaths since June. Next slide, please. And while the majority of cases and illnesses are among, are among adults, it is important to remember that children are hospitalized and they're at risk for serious illness from COVID-19. This graph does show us by month the number of cases of multisystem inflammatory syndrome in children, or MISC, a COVID-19 related condition where different body parts can become inflamed, including the heart, lungs, kidneys, brain, skin, eyes, or gastrointestinal organs. To date, there have been 38 reported cases of MISC in LA County. And I'm relieved to report that we have not had any MISC-related deaths uh, here uh, across the county. Next slide. We are approaching flu season, and I just wanted to talk for a minute about why it's so important that this fall and winter we take actions to not only continue to slow the spread of COVID-19, but to also do our part and protect ourselves and our family from the flu. It's important to note that in the past, when we've experienced a severe flu season, last year we had a pretty severe flu season, LA County healthcare providers have sometimes reached capacity and needed to implement contingency plans and even surge plans, particularly at urgent care centers and emergency rooms to accommodate the increase in patients. This slide shows us the proportion of ED visits, uh, emergency department visits, during last year's flu season and at the beginning of this year that were for what we call flu-like symptoms. And that's the dotted line you see more towards uh, my left, your right. Uh, and then those for COVID-19, which is the red line. Some of the cases diagnosed initially as influenza illness in the early part of 2020 are likely to represent COVID-19 cases since as you all remember, we had very little testing available in February and March. Uh, nonetheless, as COVID cases began increasing, you can see from this table that influenza cases were decreasing. And this helped avoid challenges for the healthcare system. This fall and winter, however, we will be probably see both flu and COVID-19 at the same time. And this slide should help us understand how much demand that could place on all of our healthcare providers, potentially making it more difficult for everyone to access needed care. The good news is that we have an excellent way of protecting ourselves from the flu, and that is to be immunized. And we also have proven strategies for protecting ourselves from COVID-19, and that includes wearing face coverings and keeping our distance. And some of the infection control strategies that we're using to protect ourselves from COVID-19, such as frequent hand washing and staying home when ill, can also protect us from the flu. Most importantly, as we're entering the flu season while we're in the middle of the pandemic, it has never been more important for everyone to consider getting their flu immunization. Everyone six months and older should be immunized against the flu. It's safe and there are many places across the county where you can be immunized. You could talk to your provider, visit a pharmacy, or visit our website 
to find immunization sites close to you in your community. And now to update you on our current status. We are now three weeks out from the Labor Day holiday, and we have not experienced a surge in cases similar to the increases we saw a few weeks ago after both the Memorial Day and July 4th holidays, as you can see on this slide. This past week, the current average number of daily cases was 1,074. The average daily hospitalizations was 752. The average daily deaths were 29, and the average daily test positivity was 3.1%. These, these represent small decreases since September 5th, when the average number of daily cases was 1,176, the average daily hospitalizations was 1,039, average daily deaths was 36, and the average daily test positivity was 4.4%. And while we still may experience increases in cases associated with activities over the Labor Day holiday, we do not predict a similar surge as was seen after Memorial Day and after the July 4th holiday. I do want to remind you uh, as we go into today's numbers that our numbers are always lower on Monday as a result of a lag in reporting over the weekend. So we are sad to report one additional death today. This person was between the ages of 65 and 79, and they did not have underlying health conditions. Uh, this brings the total number of deaths to 6,515 uh, across our county. And to the many people across our communities who are grieving a loved, uh, the loss of a loved one or a friend who passed away from COVID-19, we are so sorry for your loss, and you remain in our thoughts and in our hearts. Uh, we are glad to see that the number is low uh, and continue uh, to hope that we can uh, be on uh, the path forward that has us every day seeing lower and lower numbers of people passing away from COVID-19. As I noted before, 92% of the people who have passed away in L.A. County had underlying health conditions. For the 6,131 people who passed away where race ethnicity has been identified, 51% are Latina Latinx, 23% are white, 15% are Asian, 10% are black, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. This brings the total, this, our total number of cases now in LA County is 268,455. Uh, these cases include 11,798 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 2,564 cases reported by the city of Pasadena, both which have independent city health departments. 689 people are currently hospitalized. 34% of the people who are hospitalized are in the ICU and 16% are on ventilators. We've investigated a total of 1,853 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Currently, we have 418 sites where we're conducting investigations, and we've closed 1,435 cases. The total number of confirmed cases in institutional settings is 34,937. This includes 17,684 among residents and 17,253 among staff. I am sad to report that 2,831 residents in institutional settings passed away from COVID-19. 2,543 of the people who died in institutional settings resided in skilled nursing facilities. The newly reported death today uh, was not associated uh, with a person residing in a skilled nursing facility. And again, to all who have lost loved ones who resided in these facilities, uh, we wish you healing and peace. Over 2.6 million people in LA County have been tested and had results reported uh, to the health department. And 9% of the people who were tested uh, were positive, uh, cumulatively from the beginning. In closing, I am sure that most of us know many people who have underlying health conditions, 
and we ourselves may have these fairly common health issues. Uh, these are people throughout our communities who have conditions that place them at a higher risk for serious illness if they become infected with the virus. Many are people who have to go to work, uh, they're out shopping for essentials, and they're taking care of their families. This is why it becomes part of our collective responsibility to do our very best to not transmit the virus. And we do this by wearing our cloth face coverings and physically distancing when we're out of our homes and around others. Get tested, isolate when positive for COVID-19, and quarantine if you're in close contact with someone who is positive. These are the tools we have and we can use today to save lives. Every single business that follows the public health protocols protects their workers and their customers. We're not helpless as we get ready for the fall and the winter. We have tools and strategies that we've been using to protect each other. And when we use them, they do work. As we enter the flu season, we have one more tool that's available, and that is to get your flu immunization. Thank you, and now we'll take your questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press 1, then 0 on your touchtone keypad. You may withdraw your question at any time by repeating the same command. If you're using a speakerphone, we ask that you please pick up the handset before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press 1, followed by 0 at this time. And first, we'll open the line of Patrick Healy with NBC4 News. Your line is now open. Hi, thank you very much. Dr. Ferrer, uh, give us some time context here. We, we heard the uh, alarming news last week about the R effective number going up over 1. How much of a lag before we start seeing that impact? Because your numbers today, this past week, have been very good. And we also heard from Dr. Mark Galley last week that the hospitalization is almost going to double in the coming months. And then one more question, if I may. Uh, L.A. Comic Con has started advertising about selling tickets for a December convention. Is that a little premature? Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Dr. Furr? Yeah, thanks so much, Patrick. Um, and, yeah, I, I do appreciate um, the questions about, you know, how do the numbers that we've experienced predict what we might see ahead. And as you know, the modeling um, that's done by Dr. Lewis and I think the modeling that Dr. Galley and the state are using is just that. It's modeling. It uses some different numbers, uh, especially uh, our modeling relies a lot on the slope of increase at, for hospitalizations in order to, to take a look at where we may be uh, later in the fall. And I don't think um, either message is contradictory, although it might seem so uh, at first blush. Uh, I believe what Dr. Galley and Dr. Lewis uh, were actually uh, letting us know is that uh, we have a lot of community transmission still going on. And, you know, remember those confidence intervals really mean that that R naught is at about one, um, which means that we're still, on average, infecting at least one other person uh, if uh, we're a person who's positive for COVID-19. And the best place for us to be is to get that number uh, well below one. Um, I think Dr. Galley is also reflecting on the fact that we had many more counties uh, start doing uh, larger reopenings. And also, as you saw in other counties, uh, they're bringing back college uh, students and university students. You know, along with, and you, you saw that on the table uh, I put up earlier today, uh, with every reopening, uh, there's more exposures, which can result in more cases. And I think uh, that both Dr. Galley and Dr. Lewis are saying, you know, it is likely across the state uh, for us to see more transmission as there are more reopenings. And if we're not careful, uh, we could, in fact, end up with uh, what they were predicting, 89% increase, uh, Dr. Galley reported, uh, in hospitalizations. You know, as I said earlier, uh, these projections are based on the data that people are looking at of things that already happened. And I like to say we're in control of our destiny, at least some part of our destiny here, uh, and that there are steps that we can take and that we've been taking uh, that I think uh, reduce the risk of transmission. Uh, everybody predicted uh, that we would, in fact, see a, a surge after the Labor Day holiday, and we didn't. Uh, and that's in part because people took actions to make sure we didn't see that surge. Um, so I will say we need to be super cautious uh, going into the fall and into the winter. 
Uh, but I think that the modeling is just for us uh, a set of predictions based on information that people are looking at uh, and making us all aware of the possibility, uh, if we're not super careful, of ending up back with uh, way too many hospitalizations. Um, and in terms of the question about events, is, I, I think it is premature. I mean, first of all, as a reminder, we're in tier one still. Um, and even uh, as you move through the tiers, uh, the governor and the state have not announced when it will be okay uh, to have large-scale events. Um, I think a lot will depend on what happens uh, as, we, as we enter into flu season about whether or not those are going to be actions that we'll be able to take. So, yes, I agree with you, Patrick. I think it is premature. Uh, with that, we'll take the next question. Next, open the line of Colleen Shelby with Los Angeles Times. Your line is open. Hi, thanks for taking my questions. I um, wanted to know if you had a school waiver update, if we are now or in the near future going to start accepting waivers for elementary schools to reopen, and if so, how quickly that waiver may be approved. And my other question uh, was about the tier system. It looks like L.A. County has been holding fairly steady uh, in kind of that tier two status. Just wondering if you have any insight into uh, how soon or if the county may see a move and um, how that might affect things. So I'll, I'll answer the first part on the school and then let Dr. Furr uh, fill in where I missed. Tomorrow at our board meeting, we are going to be discussing uh, the waiver issue as it relates to, or at least I'm going to be bringing it up, along with Supervisor Hahn to discuss um, the waiver and how we proceed, um, understanding that um, there are schools that have approached us and asked us to at least consider uh, implementing a waiver program. So that will be discussed at tomorrow's board meeting at the set item at 1030. Uh, and hopefully we can come to some conclusion as it relates to putting something together that allows school districts to at least um, submit a waiver to Dr. Ferrer and then have it go up to the state um, so that some school districts can have some sort of hybrid for uh, in-class training. So with that, I'll let you speak to the other part. Uh, thanks so much uh, for the question about uh, Tier 2. Uh, and, and you're right to note that last week when the state posted the metrics for all counties, we qualified uh, for Tier 2 status. We're not in Tier 2 because you need to have two consecutive weeks of qualifying. And for us, the issue that's been uh, most difficult to move us from Tier 1 to Tier 2 has been that daily case rate. We had to get that, uh, it's an adjusted rate, we had to get the adjusted rate down to 7 new cases per 100,000 people. So we have one qualifying week. Uh, the question is when the state releases the metrics tomorrow, do we expect that we will have the second qualifying week, which would then allow us to move into tier two? Unfortunately, there's a 10-day lag with the state calculations. So we already know that our numbers for the week ending the 19th of September were higher than they were for the week ending the 12th. While we don't know yet exactly what will get posted because the adjustment factor changes every week, uh, we anticipate that it might be a little bit hard for us to have met the threshold for Tier 2. If we don't meet the threshold for Tier 2 this upcoming week, we, we start all over. It's not like we get credit for that first week. I think what it helps us understand is that we can get there, but you actually have to have two consecutive weeks of, of qualifying for Tier 2 before the state moves you into Tier 2. But we'll know tomorrow and we'll be able to talk to it uh, after we see the state's uh, metrics that get posted tomorrow. Um, and with that, we'll take the next question. And next, we'll open the line of Ryan Carter with Los Angeles Daily News. Your line is now open. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor, uh, for the presentation today. Um, Slight tangent here um, on a question I have regarding uh, the Aliso Canyon blowout. Uh, we are coming up on five years uh, since the since the leak, and the county's wheels seem to be starting to turn on a health study uh, with a big town hall happening this weekend, as you know. I wondered if you could just tell me about the department's uh, goal of this town hall and why it's sort of taken so long to get to this point uh, in the process. Um, so, again, thank you. And I'd open that up for, uh, for uh, Supervisor Barger as well, if she'd sure. like to chime in. Thank you. Sure. I'll start off by saying that, obviously, the health study that's being implemented is the result of a settlement that was um, uh, completed by SoCalGas, as well as the state and the county and the city, um, as well, was involved. 
So getting the study up and running uh, and getting it prepared was um, something that I think was done quickly based on the fact that the, the uh, settlement was less than, uh, probably less than a year and a half ago. So we put together all the complexities that relates to the scientific needs. We're putting together what chemicals we need to be inspecting. And I think the purpose of the town hall meeting, I'll let Dr. Ferrer talk about it, is to give kind of an overview and talk to the public about what, how this is going to play out. But um, this is the beginning, but by no means the end as it relates to how we are going to focus on the health impact to Porter Ranch and the residents that live in Porter Ranch as it relates to the Aliso Canyon blowout. Dr. Ferrer? Yeah, thanks so much for that question. And, um, and, and the supervisor's right. You know, I think uh, this past year, everyone's been working really hard to put together all the pieces that need to come together in order to have an effective study. You know, one of the biggest pieces and one of the, the main purposes of the town hall is to make sure that residents are both well-informed but also have an opportunity to participate, uh, both participate in the study itself but also participate in making sure that the study is going to meet the goals uh, that the residents need it to meet. So I think uh, in the meantime, you know, we have a a community advisory uh, group uh, that meets regularly with our staff, and we also have a scientific uh, advisory uh, council that also meets, um, and that really is made up of, of scientists of, of sort of international and national uh, prestige who are helping to advise us on how best to complete the goals of the study. Um, again, I want to reiterate the purpose of the town hall is to welcome all members of the community that were affected by the Aliso Canyon blowout so that they have an opportunity to both get the update but also to help uh, us figure out all of the next steps and participate fully uh, in the design and the execution of this uh, health study, which again, as everyone knows, it's, it's a multi-year health study. So it's really important uh, for us to have an opportunity to talk with residents and for residents to be able to talk to us. So thanks. Next question. And next, we'll open the line of Claudia Pasciuta with KNX News Radio. Your line is now open. Thank you. Hi. Um, first question for Barbara. Um, I get that there is some uncertainty about the transmission rate, but the current estimate the estimate indicates that we could be in for some exponential spread. So I'm wondering how that will factor into tomorrow's talks with the supervisors regarding more reopening. And on that same topic, a question for Catherine. Information from the public health department indicates that some gyms and churches continue to violate the health officer order, um, some getting at least five citations within a three-week period. Do you think it's time for tougher fines or um, other measures to, to try to get people to comply with rules to prevent the spread? Thank you. Well, as it relates to the violations, um, the, the county has been very uh, focused on uh, issuing fines and actually citations and even taking uh, some to court as a result of the continuing to be flagrant in terms of not um, complying with public health officers. So this is something that we've discussed as a board and moving forward, um, Dr. Ferrer is providing us with all that information. Um, it's something that the board will discuss, but at this point, you know, I think this board has been very focused on um, the financial but also on court when necessary. Um, we don't want it to get to that because, again, as Dr. Ferrer said, the goal is to flatten the curve and to, to slow the spread. And we hope that people will comply, understanding that if you do it now, um, it will make it a lot easier for us to reopen in the long term. But if you don't, um, it continues to push us and keep us at the tier that we're at. So with that, Dr. Ferrer. Yeah, thanks so much. And, and uh, again, I, I think um, it, it's a really good question about, you know, what, what are these threats in the future and how do you actually predict and prepare uh, for the unknown of this fall. Um, we have no idea what flu season will look like, uh, to be honest. Uh, we're seeing from you know, places like Australia and Brazil, they had a very mild flu season. Uh, in fact, that's probably related to all the protections that people are taking uh, to protect themselves and the people they love from COVID-19. Those are also helpful in protecting folks from uh, getting uh, influenza. Um, but what we do know is, and what we've learned, is that we need to be cautious and we need to pay attention to our own data. Um, you know, we're, we're a very large county, but we have a lot of really good information from the data that allows us to really look at both what's happened in the past, uh, what kinds of decisions we were making, and then what does that tell us about how to proceed in the future. Um, I also appreciate all the help we're getting from the state and really taking a hard look at, you know, noting that the most important 
step for all of us to take that helps with the recoveries to drive down uh, that rate of transmission. So our goal remains to drive that down. Um, and, and in reopening, we have to make sure two things. One is we have enough support and that there'll be enough fidelity to all of the directives that are required for reopenings. And two, uh, that we're able to get information out to everyone ahead of time so that they know what to expect and what we need to expect from them in order to have more successful reopenings. Uh, I think we've learned that there's, there's a great need for information. Uh, one of the models you see us using right now with the schools that are reopening for services uh, for high-need students is we're doing site visits at every school. We're doing calls and site visits so that we can help schools uh, take a look at what they can do best uh, to make their environments as safe as possible and how to, in fact, fully comply with the directives. Um, I, I'll say we learned that um, even for folks who are well-intentioned, uh, sometimes they need some help uh, making sure that they're able to comply. There's no way to open with as much safety as possible if people are not complying with the public health directives. I think that's really clear to us uh, now that we're in September, and I think that will be used uh, to guide our decisions as we move forward. But we are moving forward, and, uh, and I think that um, is a place where we're comfortable being, is we are comfortable being in a place uh, where we need to move forward and we need to, in fact, uh, pay a lot of attention to what we've done that's worked uh, and what we've done that hasn't worked so well. So now we'll have remarks in Spanish from Jackie Valenzuela. Buenas tardes. Hoy nos gustaría hablar sobre las personas que tienen un mayor riesgo de enfermarse gravemente si se exponen a COVID-19. Las personas con problemas delicados de salud como el asma, la diabetes, obesidad y enfermedades cardíacas son motivo de uh, mayor preocupación durante esta pandemia porque los datos que tenemos muestran que el 92% de las personas que fallecen a causa de COVID-19 uh, tenían una condición delicada de salud. Es posible saber, en, en, es imposible saber uh, en nuestro día a día quién tiene una condición delicada de salud uh, y quién no padece de ella. Y es probable que alguien que tenemos cerca de nosotros, puede ser nuestra familia, amistad o un compañero de trabajo, uh, que puede este, estar en mayor riesgo. Y estimamos que entre el 20 y el 30% de los residentes del condado, condado de Los Ángeles tienen una condición delicada de salud. Y tenemos información para compartir hoy con ustedes sobre los fallecimientos relacionados con COVID-19 entre las personas con problemas delicados de salud, así como la cantidad de personas en el condado de Los Ángeles que corren mayor riesgo. A medida que se acerca la temporada de la gripe, uh, queremos compartir información durante un tiempo cuando la gripe y COVID-19 uh, estarán las dos en nuestras uh, comunidades. First slide, please. Esta gráfica muestra los fallecimientos por COVID-19 por condiciones delicadas de salud. Como puede ver, uh, la alta presión, la diabetes, uh, son las condiciones delicadas de salud más comunes entre las personas que fallecieron por causas de COVID-19. Las condiciones neurológicas y las enfermedades cardiovasculares, la, son del corazón, también son comunes entre las personas que fallecieron a causa de COVID-19. La enfermedad renal, que es la de los riñones, la enfermedad pulmonar, la obesidad, el asma y la enfermedad hepática crónica, que es del hígado, uh, son otras condiciones delicadas de salud que son bastante comunes uh, entre las personas que fallecieron a causa de COVID-19, uh, al igual que las condiciones que comprometen el sistema inmunológico. Next slide, please. Es importante comprender cuán comunes uh, son las condiciones delicadas de salud y los factores de riesgo en todo el condado de Los Ángeles. Y estas condiciones y riesgos existen en personas de todos los grupos de edad. Esta gráfica muestra condiciones y riesgos comunes por grupo de edad. Como pueden ver, una gran cantidad de personas en el condado de Los Ángeles que sufren de asma, diabetes, alta presión, colesterol alto, 
uh, y obesidad o son fumadores actuales, uh, tienen entre 18 a 49 años. Casi dos tercios de los fumadores uh, eh, están dentro de este rango de edad uh, y más de la mitad de las personas con asma y más de la mitad de las personas uh, obesas también están entre las edades de 18 a 49 años. Un tercio de las personas con colesterol alto y casi un tercio de las personas con alta presión tienen entre 18 a 49 años. Y también podemos observar una cuarta parte de las personas con diabetes pertenecen a estos grupos de edad más jóvenes. Next slide, please. Queremos señalar que incluimos el uh, fumar como un factor de riesgo uh, de enfermedad grave por causas de COVID-19. El fumar daña todos los sistemas del cuerpo uh, y causa tanto enfermedad cardiovascular como enfermedad pulmonar. Uh, estudios recientes han demostrado que las personas que fuman tienen entre dos a, y cuatro veces más probabilidades de enfermarse uh, gravemente y ser en, ingresadas a unidades de cuidados in, intensivos, a uh, poder necesitar ventilación mecánica y lamentablemente hasta fallecer. Uh, especialmente en comparación con las personas que no fumaban. Para aquellos que fuman o que usan cigarrillos electrónicos, hay servicios disponibles para ayudarlos a dejar de fumar. Cabe destacar que la, la idea de dejar de fumar eh, durante una pandemia puede ser abrumadora, uh, pero se puede lograr. Si desea ayuda para dejar de fumar, puede comunicarse con la línea de ayuda uh, para fumadores del de estado de California al 1 800 no Uh, B grande UTTS, no buts, o puede visitar laquits.com. Next slide, por favor. Next slide, please. Esta gráfica enfatiza aún más que las personas de todas las edades corren el riesgo de infectarse con COVID-19. Además, corren el riesgo de enfermarse gravemente. La línea azul muestra casos a lo largo del tiempo entre personas de 30 a 49 años. Este grupo ha tenido de manera constante el mayor número de personas que dieron positivo por el virus. La línea amarilla representa los casos a lo largo del tiempo entre personas de 18 a 29 años. También han tenido de forma constante un número elevado de infecciones. Y finalmente, la línea rosada uh, representa a las personas de 50 a 64 años. Vale destacar uh, una de las razones por las uh, que vemos una transición tan alta en estos tres grupos es que constituyen la gran mayoría de la fuerza laboral. Uh, del condado de Los Ángeles y son los grupos que tienen más probabilidades de ser trabajadores esenciales y estar fuera de su hogar haciendo las compras y los quehaceres diarios de su hogar. Next slide, please. Entre las personas que se enfermaron gravemente por COVID-19 uh, y fueron hospitalizados, las personas de 50 a 64 años constituyen un mayor número es decir, alrededor del 30% representada por la línea rosada. También constituyen un alto porcentaje de personas que han sido hospitalizadas por el virus. Aproximadamente una cuarta parte son personas de 30 a 49 años representadas por la línea verde. Los adultos mayores, las personas de 65 a 79 años representados por la línea morada, uh, representan alrededor del 20% de las hospitalizaciones y los adultos de 80 años o más son un 10% uh, de, to de todas las personas hospitalizadas. El grupo de edad con el aumento más significativo de hospitalizaciones uh, son los adultos jóvenes de 18 a 29 años, uh, representados por la línea María. Y como podemos ver, son un número cada vez más alto de personas que han estado hospitalizadas, en más del 10%. Cuando se hacen los cálculos, casi el 70% de las personas hospitalizadas recientemente tienen menos de 65 años. Next slide, please. 
en términos de fallecimientos, eh, seguimos viendo que la mayoría de las personas que fallecen por COVID-19, o sea, el 65%, son personas mayores. Uh, estas personas mayores están representadas por las líneas cafés y moradas. Los adultos entre las edades de 50 a 64 años representan aproximadamente el 25% de los fallecimientos. Una nota de precaución es el reciente aumento en el porcentaje de fallecimientos que ocurren entre las personas entre las edades de 18 a 28 años. Esta es la línea María que muestra que el 5% de todas las muertes recientes fueron entre jóvenes. Esto representa un aumento del 1 a 2% de todas las muertes desde junio. Next slide, please. Y aunque la mayoría de los casos y enfermedades son entre adultos, el, es importante recordar que los niños también corren, corren el riesgo de contraer enfermedades graves por COVID-19. Este gráfico muestra por mes la cantidad de casos del síndrome inflamatorio multisistémico en niños, una enfermedad relacionada con COVID-19 en la que diferentes partes del cuerpo pueden inflamarse, incluidos el corazón, los pulmones, los riñones, el cerebro, la piel, los ojos u órganos gastrointestinales. Hasta la fecha se han reportado 38 casos de este síndrome en el condado de Los Ángeles. Y nos alegra informarles que hasta la fecha no hemos tenido ningún fallecimiento relacionado con este síndrome en nuestro condado. Next slide, please. Nos acercamos a la temporada de la gripe y queremos hablar sobre por qué es tan importante que este otoño uh, y invierno tomemos medidas no solo para continuar a frenar eh, la propagación de COVID-19, sino también para hacer nuestra parte para protegernos y a nuestras familias de la gripe. Es importar, importante tener en cuenta que en el pasado, cuando hemos experimentado una temporada de gripe severa, uh, los médicos del Condado de Los Ángeles a veces han alcanzado su capacidad y tuvieron que implementar planes de contingencia, uh, particularmente en los centros de atención de urgencia y salas de emergencia para uh, acomodar a más pacientes. Esta gráfica muestra la proporción de visitas a salas de emergencia uh, durante la temporada de gripe del año pasado y este año, que fueron por síntomas similares a la gripe, a uh, la línea de puntos y para COVID-19, la línea roja. Es probable que algunos de los casos diagnosticados como siendo la gripe en el 2020 representen casos de COVID-19, ya que las pruebas fueron limitadas en febrero y marzo. A medida que los casos de COVID-19 comenzaron a aumentar, los casos de gripe disminuyeron y esto ayuda, ayudó a evitar abrumar el sistema de salud. Sin embargo, este otoño e invierno probablemente uh, veremos tanto la gripe como el COVID-19 COVID al mismo tiempo. Y esta gráfica nos ayuda a comprender cuánta demanda puede generar en nuestro sistema de atención médica a lo que podría hacer que sea más difícil para todos acceder a la atención médica necesaria. La buena noticia es de que tenemos una forma de protegernos contra la gripe y es estar inmunizados y, y usar estrategias que están comprobadas para protegernos contra COVID-19. Y esto incluye usar cubiertas para la cara y mantener la distancia física. Además, algunas de las estrategias de control de infecciones que usamos para COVID-19, también como lavarnos las manos uh, con frecuencia y quedarnos en casa cuando estamos enfermos, eh, estas eh, medidas también nos protegen contra otras enfermedades, incluyendo la gripe. Algo muy importante que resaltar es que estamos entrando en la temporada de la gripe mientras estamos en medio de una pandemia. Nunca ha sido más importante para todos vacunarnos contra la gripe. Pedimos que todas las personas mayores de seis meses uh, se vacunen contra la gripe. Es seguro y hay muchos lugares en todo el condado donde puede vacunarse. Puede hablar con su médico, visitar una farmacia o visitar nuestro sitio web uh, para encontrar sitios de vacunación en su comunidad. Y ahora para actualizarlo sobre nuestros datos de hoy. 
Ahora estamos a tres semanas del feriado del Día del Trabajo y no hemos experimentado un aumento en los casos similares a lo que vimos unas semanas después del Día de los Caídos. Eh, nuestro promedio actual de casos diarios es de 1,074. El promedio de hospitalizaciones diarias es de 752. El promedio de fallecimientos diarios es de 29. Y la, la tasa de positividad um, diaria de la prueba es del 3.1%. Estos datos representan pequeñas disminuciones desde el 5 de septiembre, cuando el promedio de casos diarios fue de 1,176. El promedio de hospitalizaciones diarias fue de 1,039. El promedio de fallecimientos diarios fue de 36. Y la positividad um, diaria de la prueba era de uh, 4.4%. Next slide, please. Si bien uh, aún podemos experimentar aumentos en los casos asociados con actividades durante el feriado del Día del Trabajo, uh, no prevemos un aumento similar al que observamos después del Día de los Caídos y después del feriado del 4 de julio. Y queremos recordarles que vemos números más bajos el lunes como resultado de un retraso en los informes durante el fin de semana. Y nos da tristeza eh, informar un fallecimiento más el día de hoy. Esta persona tenía entre 65 y 79 años y no tenía ningún problema delicado de salud. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 6,515 en el condado de Los Ángeles. De las 6,131 personas que han fallecido donde se identificó la raza y etnicidad, el 51% son latinos, el 23% son blancos, el 15% son asiáticos, el 10% son afroamericanos, menos de un por ciento son nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y un por ciento se identificó con otra raza y etnicidad. Esto eleva el número total de casos a 268,455 en el condado de Los Ángeles. Actualmente se encuentran hospitalizados 689 casos confirmados. 34% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 16% están en ventiladores. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 34,937, incluidos tanto el personal como los residentes. Hay 17,684 casos confirmados entre residentes y 17,253 son personal. Nos da tristeza informar que 2,831 residentes en entornos institucionales han fallecido a causas de COVID-19. 2,543 fallecimientos están relacionados con centros de enfermería especializada. Más de 2.6 millones de personas se han hecho la prueba en el condado de Los Ángeles y el 9% han dado resultados positivos de la prueba. Para terminar, estamos seguros de que todos conocemos a muchas personas con problemas delicados de salud y nosotros mismos podemos, estar, eh, podemos tener estos problemas de salud bastante comunes. Hay personas en nuestras comunidades que tienen condiciones que los ponen en mayor riesgo de contraer enfermedades graves si se infectan con el virus. Muchas son personas que van a trabajar, están comprando alimentos y cuidando a sus familias. Es parte de nuestra responsabilidad colectiva a hacer todo lo posible para no transmitir al, el virus. Okay, now we'll go ahead and take questions in Spanish. And we'll open the line of Luis Trejo with Telemundo 52. Your line is now open. Jacqueline, gracias por tomar eh, mi pregunta. Eh, tiene que ver con lo que la doctora Ferrer discutió sobre el aumento de casos en la semana de septiembre de 19 y qué significa esto para poder llegar al siguiente nivel, el nivel rojo, qué nos puedes decir sobre los números que ustedes ven y si es posible de que se llegue al nivel 
rojo o debido a que aumentaron los casos en esa semana, es posible que comencemos de nuevo desde cero. Uh -huh. Luis, gracias uh, tanto por esa pregunta y por poner tanta atención. Uh, sí, la doctora Ferrer estaba eh, platicando sobre eh, los, los niveles que utiliza el, el, perdón, el Estado uh, para poder determinar qué tanta uh, transmisión comunitaria hay a través de cada condado. Eh, lo que vemos es que nuestras tasas han estado muy de cerca uh, para poder movernos, como eh, mencionó, uh, al, al, al próximo nivel, al, al nivel rojo. Um, pero lo que estábamos viendo también es que hay un retraso en, en los datos que está viendo el Estado. Así que hay un, un retraso como de 10 días más o menos. Uh, eh, así que ellos están viendo uh, los datos de, de una semana uh, más antes uh, de lo que nosotros estamos reportando hoy en día. Así que no estamos seguros si eso, es, esos datos, los datos de esta semana, uh, vayan a, a ayudarnos a mover al próximo rango porque que vimos aumentos la semana pasada. Así que depende eh, cómo están analizando el estado, el, uh, la, los datos que, están, que tienen de frente uh, y, y cómo van a interpretar lo que, es, lo que estamos viendo desde la semana pasada. Así que muchas gracias por esa información uh, y esas preguntas. Uh, and now we'll go ahead and move on to remarks in Armenian. Շնորհակալություն վերահսկիչ բարգերեն եւ վերահսկիչ հանձնաժողովի ամբողջ կազմին։ Դուք շարունակում եք առաջնորդել մեր շրջանը համաճարակի եւ վերականգնման ճանապարհին։ Բարի օր բոլորին։ Շնորհակալություն մեզ միանալու համար։ Այսօր ես կցանկանային խոսել այն մարդկանց մասին, ովքեր լուրջ հիվանդանալու ավելի մեծ վտանգ ունեն, եթե ենթարկվեն COVID-19-ին։ Անհատները, ովքեր ունեն հիմքում ընկած առողջական խնդիրներ, ինչպեսինք են աստման, դիաբետը, գերությունը եւ սրտի հիվանդությունները, հատկապես անհանգստացնում են համաճարակի ընթացքում, քանի որ մեր ունեցած տվյալները ցույց են տալիս, որ COVID-19-ից մահացած մարդկանց 92%-ը ունեն ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Մեր առօրյա կյանքում անհնար է իմանալ թե ով ունի առողջության հիմքում ընկած խնդիրներ եւ հավանական է որ ինչ որ մեկը որ մենք ճանաչում ենք եւ մոտենք վտանգված է մենք գնահատում ենք որ Los Angeles շրջանի բնակիչներից 20-30%-ից ունեն առողջության հիմքում ընկած խնդիրներ մենք այսօր տեղեկատվություններ ունենք իսելու COVID-19 հետ կապված 19-ը մահվան վերաբերյալ որոնք ունեն առողջական հիմքում խնդիրներ Բացի այդ գրիպի սեզոնը շուտափույթ մոտենում է եւ մենք ուզում ենք ձեզ հետ կիսել տեղեկատվություններ այն մասին թե ինչ պետք է հասկանանք այն ժամանակահատվածում երբ եւ գրիպը եւ COVID-19-ը կլինեն մեր համայնքներում ինչպես տեսնում եք հիպերտոնիայի եւ դիաբետը COVID-19-ով մահացած մարդկանց շրջանում առողջության ամենատարածված հիվանդություններն են Նյարդաբանական եւ սրտանոթային հիվանդությունները նույնպես հաճախ են հանդիպում այն մարդկանց շրջանում, ովքեր մահացել են COVID-19-ից։ Երիկամային հիվանդությունները, թոքային հիվանդությունները, գերությունը, աստման, լյարդի քրոնիկ հիվանդությունները առողջության հիմքում ընկած խնդիրներ են, որոնք բավականին տարածված են COVID-19-ով մահացած մարդկանց շրջանում։ Ինչպես նաև իմունային համակարգը խախտող պայմանները կարևոր է հասկանալ թե որքանով են ընդհանուր առողջական պայմանները եւ ռիսկի գործոնները Los Angeles շրջանում այդ պայմաններն ու ռիսկերը արկայեն տարիքային խմբերի մարդկանց շրջանում ընդհանուր պայմաններն ու ռիսկերը ըստ տարիքային խմբի ինչպես տեսնում եք աստման դիաբետը հիպերտոնիան եւ բարձր խոլեսթերինով եւ գերություն եւ ծխող մարդկանց մեծ մասը 18-49 տարեկան են։ Ծխողների գրեթե 2/3-ը այս տարիքում են։ Բարձր խոլեսթերին ունեցող մարդկանց 1/3-ը եւ հիպերտոնիկ հիվանդների գրեթե 1/3-ը 18-49 տարեկան են։ Դիաբետով տարապող մարդկանց 1/4-ը այս երիտասարդ տարիքային խմբերում է։ Այժմ ձեզ ներկայիս կարգավիճակի վերաբերյալ Մենք աշխատանքային օրվա արձակուրդներից 
անցել ենք երեկ շապատ և չենք զգացել այնպիսի աջ, որը տեսանք հիշատակի օրից մի քանի շապատ անց։ Ներկայումս միջին օրեկան դեպքերի կանակը 1774-ն է, միջին օրեկան հոսպիտալացումը 752-ն է, միջին օրեկան մահացությունը 29-ն է, իսկ միջին օրեկան դրական թեստերը կազմում են երեկ ամբողջ մեկ տոքոս։ Դրանք փոքր անգումներ են ներկայացնում սեպտեմբերի 5-ից վեր, երբ որեկան դեպքերի միջին թիվը 1176 էր, միջին որեկան հոսպիտալացումը եղել է 1039-ը, միջին որեկան մահվան դեպքերը եղել են 36, և միջին որեկան դրական թեստ 50-64 տարեկան մարդկանց ամենամեծ մասնաբաժինը կազում է մոտ 30 տոքոս։ Բացի այդ վերուսի պատճարով հոսպիտալացված մարդկանց մեծ մասը կազմում մոտ մեկ չորորդը 30-49 տարեկան մարդիկ։ Ավելի մեծահասակները 69-29 հոսպիտալացման անձանց լրացութիչ տաս տոքոսը։ Այսօր ծավով ենք հայտնում եվս մեկ մահվան մասին։ Այս անձը 65 տարեկանից 79 է և չի ունեցել ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է լոս անջելոս մահերի 51 տոքոսը լատինո լատինեքս, 23 տոքոսը սպիտակ, 15 տոքոսը ասյական, 10 տոքոսը ավրոամերիկացիներ, 1 տոքոսը բնիկ հավայան և 1 տոքոսը մեկ այլ ռասա էտնիկ խումբ։ Քովիտ 19-ով մահացած անձանց 92 տոքոսը ուներ ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ, ինչը կարևոր մնալ տանը և հնարավորինս խուսապել սերտ կապերից։ Սա բերում է լոսանջելուր շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուր թիվը 268455։ Այս դեպքերը ներարում են լոնգբիչ կաղաքում մեր կործ ընկերների կողմից գրանցված 11798 դեպքեր, իսկ պասիտենա կաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 2564 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկաղ առողջապահական բաժամունքներ։ Ներկայոմս հոսպիտալացվել են 689 մարդ, որոնցից 34 տոքոսը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժամունքում, իսկ 16 տոքոսը միացված են շն� հաստատություններում, դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ, ոժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ և կրյա կատարողական հիմնարկներ։ Ինստիտությոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 34,937 բնակիչներն են և 17,253-ը անձնակազմ։ Ձավով ենք հայտնում, որ 2,831 մարդ, ովքեր ապրում էին ինստիտությունը ալպայմաններում մահացել են կովիտ 19-ից։ Ինստիտությունալ միջավայրում բնակվող և մահացացներ Ավելի կան երկու ամբողջ 6 միլոն մարդ տեստավորվել են և արդյունքները զեկուցվել են լոսանջելո շրջան, որոնցից 9 տոքոսը դրական են։ Վերջում ես համոզված եմ, որ մենք բոլորս գիտենք առողջության հիմքում ընկ որոնք նրանց ավելի մեծ ռիսկի են ենթարկում լուր չիվանդության դեպքում, եթե նրանք վարակվեն վերուսով։ Շատերը այն մարդիկ են, ովքեր 
գնում են աշխատանքի, գնումներ են կատարում սնդամթերքի համար եւ հոգում են իրենց ընտանիքների մասին։ Մեր հավաքական պատասխանատվության մի մասն է անել հնարավորը վիրուսը չփոխանցելու համար։ Այնքան կարևոր է կրել դեմքի դիմակ, կտորեց ածկոցներ եւ ֆիզիկապես հրավորություն պահպանել, երբ դուրս է գալիս տանից։ Տեստավորվելը մեկուսանալը եւ դրական է COVID-19-ի համար եւ կարանտինացվելը, եթե դուք սերտ շփում եք ունեցել վիրուսով դրական անձի հետ, գործիքներ են, որոնք մենք այսօր կարող ենք օգտագործել կյանքեր փրկելու համար։ Յուրաքանչյուր բիզնես, որը հետևում է հանրային առողջության արձանագրություններին, պաշտպանում է նրանց աշխատողներին եւ հաճախորդներին։ Մենք անօգնական չենք, քանի որ պատրաստվում ենք աշնանը եւ ծմռանը։ Մենք ունենք գործիքներ եւ ռազմավարություններ, որոնք օգտագործել ենք միմյանց պաշտպանելու համար եւ դրանք կործում են։ Մտնելով գրիպի սեզոն, մենք ունենք եւս մեկ գործիք, այն ձեր գրիպի պատվաստումն է։ Շնորհակալություն։ Thank you. This concludes the press conference. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.